This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to John Richardson and the Future Notes. This is Series 5, it's Episode 2. Thank you for all your kind feedback on Episode 1, the live show. No kind of feedback then the completely unbiased opinion of Tom Mustell, who was part of the podcast, who described it as a riotous belly laugh of a podcast. Um, not sure you're allowed to describe yourself like that. But um, <laughs> here's the first proper episode of the series, chatting with ourselves and your emails. And by us, I mean, of course, Mark Stevenson. Hello. And Ed Gillespie. Hello. Welcome. Uh, how are you both? I do this every time, don't I? I can't say both because it invites one of you to jump in. I said hello to Mark first, so I'm going to say how are you, Ed, first for for balance because I've learned. Exactly. I'm feeling the uh, autumnal chill this morning out in the shed. It's the first day where it's felt a bit nippy. So uh, I'm just I'm rubbing my thighs gently uh, to keep the circulation going because the sun hasn't hit my roof yet. Rubbing your thighs. It's a lovely image. Well, I know exactly. <laughs> I, you know, Vic Reeves is my inspiration. It's been a long time since we've had that sort of, you know, thigh rubbing um, on national TV. It's a long time since thigh rubbing has been a sort of a, a sort of a, a media trope, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, basically, it's basically sort of uh, camp pirates and Vic Reeves. Do you think there's a reason for that? Yeah, I think uh, thigh rubbing will be the next thing on the block. I think in Does a few think? years' time, we'll we'll be. Uh, Revisiting shooting stars will have to be aired with a warning that yeah. uh, this episode contains scenes of thigh rubbing, which yeah. uh, were appropriate at the time, but are no longer so. Uh, Mark, what are you rubbing? <laughs> You're rubbing your head, aren't you? Uh, yes, I had to come home last night uh, and, uh, and just have a, a, a couple of glasses of wine to calm down after in my appearance at the House of Commons. <laughs> Yeah, what were you doing there? Were you invited in or were you just, what, what were you just wandering around? No, I was invited in to, and I was invited um, by some very lovely people to go and talk to some quite senior people in the travel industry about getting to net zero and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. I heard it described as so-called net zero on the radio yesterday. Well, indeed, we can get onto that if you like. Okay. Uh, anyway, it was, it was a lovely evening. There were some very senior people there and, we had a, and I really challenged them on saying, yes, you know, I don't want a world without travel. I'm a big fan of Mark Twain's great maxim travel is fatal to prejudice but you know we've all to realize that you know you've got to travel less we're gonna to have to travel less and we're gonna to have to travel in a net zero way and it was actually a really lovely event and everywhere there was fantastic i got some lovely emails by the time i got home lovely emails saying oh how great it was and how challenging it was however on the way out i got stopped by security 
now I got tossed up by two gentlemen who hated everything I'd said and accused me of trying to kill the travel industry and then and then physically restrained me and said, well, what are you doing about emissions in China and India? Um, the classic whataboutism. <laughs> yes, yes, classic, you know. Uh, and so I sort of sort of mentioned, you know, the work that the wonderful client Earth have been doing in China, which we had on the podcast, you know, and tried to execrate myself and they physically restrained me and started being rude and offensive. So I lost my call a bit and sort of mentioned that this trope of, you know, massively privileged people not doing anything because uh, slightly less privileged people aren't doing everything rather annoyed me. And as special advisor to the Ministry of Defence on National Security and Climate Change, I might have a point of view, at which point they accused me of being a racist. Oh, wow. Uh, so- <laughs> So um, uh, at that point, I kind of lost my call and said, well, it seems you don't believe in a net zero travel industry and you don't take responsibility seriously. So either get to net zero or fuck off. And then I left. (laughs) (laughs) Where were they from? Were they, can you, I mean, you don't have to name a business or were they from an organization? Were they lobbyists? I will find out because I I emailed my host this morning to say, I'm sorry I lost my call, but uh, these people are being very unprofessional and and indeed aggressive. And I'm sure um, I will find out who they are. And then obviously... Oh, maybe that email will come in during the show. Yes. Yes, maybe it will. Bit of naming and shaming. No, but it was was, was actually a really great... Because that that, that industry has this, this really difficult conundrum, you know. And actually the head of tourism for Greece was there. And I said to her, I said, you're in a bit of a... Pickle on you because your your job is to to encourage people to travel to Greece, which increases emissions, which contributes to the climate change disasters that you've recently had, the floods and the, yeah. and, the, and the wildfires that are destroying the thing they're coming to see. What, what do you do about that? And she kind of shrugged her shoulders. Going, um, <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> they were really up for that for that challenge, but you know, some people, you know, they just don't want to hear it because it's very difficult. Somebody to understand something when their salary depends upon them not understanding it. It's a very tight circle now, isn't it? That's the problem. I think, you know, mm. when you're talking about, you know, about people flying out to Rhodes while Rhodes was on fire this summer. Do you remember when I talked about the toilet above a lake in Cambodia, you know, where you use the facility and then the catfish eat, eat your contribution and then you go out and eat catfish curry. <laughs> it's a rather tight, loop that you'd rather was a bit bigger I and mean, we're starting to get to that on climate and travel aren't we as you say it's yeah. like you know you fly out there splurge emissions uh, and then your destination catches fire hang on what am i though am i the catfish am i the person or am i the curry <laughs> are we talking about the comedy loop is that where you tell a joke that goes into the audience they tell it to their friends you hear it back at a dinner party you say you've got that punchline is that is that how i'm not sure what loop we're talking about <laughs> Am I shit-eating catfish? (laughs) (laughs) We're only seven minutes into the fifth series. You're a fire-starting wanton tourist, but you're not because you took a traincation this summer. And the point I made, I did a travel thing as well recently with a whole bunch of destination management people, you know, who look after basically all of their figures and all their targets about trying to get more people to come to their destination, usually by flying. And I said, you know, the, the dilemma we have is like, you absolutely have a right to travel. You know, that humanity is a migratory species. We've always moved, you know, travel is an inherent part of who we are. But what you don't have is the entitlement to ping yourself wherever you want, whenever you want, however often you want, and however far you want, at the cost of everyone and everything else. And that's the thing that the industry has to wrestle with, is that the balance between the rights and the entitlements. 
So is this why you've been turning down those gigs you've been offered recently? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this will make you laugh because I actually predicted this, you know, not in a kind of like lazy, uh, ineffectual futurist way, but I was on a writing retreat with my mate Jonathan Gosling on a little island off the coast of Ireland, which was beautiful. How did you get there? How did you get there, eh? Hey, did you fly? <laughs> did, you, did you use fossil fuels? How did no, you get there? we went on the ferry across the Irish Sea, it was, uh, and it was very lovely. The Irish what are your sea- pencils made of? Trees? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you were on paper, were you? We were, exactly, yeah. using paper, using you paper twat. and pencils. Yeah. Tree-hating twat. And I yeah. sucked some oxygen out of the air as well while I was at yeah. it. Yeah. Did you dioxide? Did you exhale? Yeah, you hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we were having a whiskey one evening and we were talking about, you know, the work you turned down and the dilemmas uh, and all these kind of things. And I said, I said to Jonathan jokingly, I said, it can only be a matter of time before I get an invite to speak in Saudi Arabia because, you know, they're trying to build this complete bullshit, you know, linear city of techno-utopian madness in the desert. And I'm sure every, like, avaricious consultancy and agency is going to be shoving its, like, snout into the trough because the Saudis, as we all know, have billions of petrodollars to splurge around as they do in sport. And and it's going to happen in the sustainability space too. And then Within a week of getting back, I had two invitations to speak in Saudi, both of which I've obviously turned down because I'm not really very comfortable um, speaking on behalf of murderous, autocratic, authoritarian, kleptocratic regimes. We are working with John Richardson, remember? (laughs) There's an email that needs a spell check. I asked Mark what he would do, and he says, he goes, you can take the gig, but you might not come back alive. Uh, It's like, because, you know, Obviously, we always want to retain our authenticity. And one of the things they wanted me to do was to to chair an event on prosperity for all. And it's like, well, well maybe for women, you know, I mean, like half of your population is is has very limited rights, you know, because you're an incredibly misogynistic uh, regime and culture. That would be a good start. And let's not even start talking about the indentured labor and, you know, basically modern slavery for, for most of the people who run your country. So anyway... Uh, don't get me started, <laughs> but needless to say, I won't be going to Riyadh anytime soon. Yes, I, I was restrained by two drunken fat blokes last night. You would have been restrained by the uh, by the police and probably put to death. <laughs> I, mean, I would love to see you two out in Saudi giving a talk. Well, it's, it's like the old joke. There's an old not nine o'clock news sketch from the eighties where you know it's like the, the Saudi king uh, and his advisor says to him, "The British ambassador is here to see you, Your Highness." And the sheikh says, "Ah, send him in." And the advisor says, "Certainly. Which bit of him would you like to see first? <laughs> and that was in nineteen eighty. And now look. And now look. Shall we discuss traincations? Since yeah. you mentioned them, we've all had one over the summer. Well, how was yours, John? Because you were, you were a trancation ingenue, uh, a trancation virgin. What did it feel like to to kind of, and and how did you cope with uh, shepherding Lucy and Elsie? Well, we took our time, so we went from uh, Yorkshire to Malaga, basically. It's a classic journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the Orient Express, isn't it? It's like South Palin started Paris, Venice, Yorkshire, Malaga. It was absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. I loved it. I loved it for all the reasons that, that, that we'd spoken about, that you mentioned about. Just really, I mean, the big takeaway on a sort of uh, emotional sense really is remembering how far away things are. I know that sounds yeah. absolutely moronic, but you can get on a plane and fly four hours in any direction and not have any context for how the landscape changes, how the people change, how the culture changes. 
and even just that journey to Spain, which on a plane is probably you have a Costa at the airport you leave from, you have a coffee at the airport you arrive from and you head to your hotel and you have absolutely no sense that really anything has changed. Just mm. going by train. I, I'm really glad that my daughter now has some context for how far away. I mean, you're basically on the tip of Africa in, in southern Spain and it felt like that. It felt like an epic journey, not in an unpleasant sense, just that you know we'd spent a lot of time travelling and that, that feels exactly right. It's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, people always say, oh, it's a small world. It's like, no, it's not. It's massive. <laughs> you know, it's like, get on a train and you appreciate exactly how huge the world is. I yeah. think that's bang on, John, in terms of the perception. I mean, I'm taking Claire Faye to Romania at half term because I've been invited to speak at an event out there. And again, I'm not going to fly, but that's a t- sort of two-nighter on the train. I was going to say, you do it hardcore, you see. You do it half term. So you're like, travel, 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 stay. Travel, 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 travel. <laughs> and I'm all a bit, travel, stay, 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 travel, travel, stay. It's not an integral part of it. You know, I'm actually doing a couple of sleeper trains. So, you know, so a lot of the traveling will be while we're snoozing uh, in the cabin. So we will miss bits of it. But, you know, again, it's that, I don't know where you broke your journey, but, you know, when we go to Romania, we'll be breaking it in like Vienna and Budapest. Beautiful. You get to see these amazing cities on en route and then the joys of Bucharest at the other end. Do you know one of the things I hate about podcasts? What? Us. Listen, <laughs> listen to the, the hosts bang on about their lives and their holidays and what they had for breakfast and not getting onto the actual content. <laughs> <laughs> this is the content. Oh, where did you go on holiday then? Come on, we haven't spoken for six yeah, months. Just, you, you, I literally just said that's the tedious stuff. And they, I went to Cornwall. Yeah, and how was it? It was it was it was lovely, and I got to hang out with Tim Schmidt a bit for, and the Eden Project a bit, which was nice. I thought it was lovely. I'll tell you on practicality. My last point on trains. You can zone out, Mark. <laughs> um, he already has. He's about to call you a c-word. I don't. Well, we'll come on to that swearing in series five. Um, a lot of fans out there. Basically, we discussed whether we shouldn't, and and all the emails and texts we've had have said no. Crack on. We like it. Uh, so I'll tell you one fucking thing I learned about <laughs> getting the train. I I don't remember discussing. You just do it on um, train line. Yeah, like you do, like you book like Preston to Wigan. Yeah, you just book Malaga to Madrid. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, hang on. I mean, this was the business that I was heavily involved in. What Loco Two, which has now been bought by Rail Europe, but we pioneered this integrated ticketing. You know, we were the first ones to ever offer that like Birmingham to Barcelona in one transaction. Mm. And it was an absolute nightmare to get it going. Well, it was because most people were trying to get to Liverpool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the train line essentially copied us and tried to buy us at one point. I won't go into the story because it doesn't put the train line in a very favourable light, but it is amazing what is now possible, as you say, in terms of like, like one click. And, and, you know, the whole ethos was how do we make it as easy to book a European flight? I mean, rather a European train as it is to book a European flight. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't need your passport once you get over there. Yeah, exactly. And you can get on with a whole bottle of booze. Uh, well, that's what... You'll add as much booze on there as you like. It's what Mark Smith, the man in seat 61, who's like the kind of the train travel guru, always says, never travel without a good book and a corkscrew. Mm. Absolutely. Or a screw top bottle. Or a bottle of champagne, as Mark discovered, because we ended up well, without uh, a corkscrew, didn't we, on a train. And then we were forced to only buy screw top wine. Or fizz. On a train without a corkscrew. Yeah. 
Mark's just sulking now, isn't he? He's not going to say anything. Do you know what he's done, Ed? He's shot himself right in the foot because he's basically said, I don't want to listen to tedious travel anecdotes, which means the next thing he says better be <laughs> fucking interesting and fucking relevant. So he's sitting there quietly trying to sculpt himself an absolute dagger of a point. What have you got, Stevenson? <laughs> have, we, have we actually lost him? <laughs> he's there. He's lurking. Would you like to get to some uh, listener emails or would you like oh, to? Please, is is there any more from. Um... I wanted to talk about the real world. Oh, Are yeah. You suggesting our listeners aren't in the real world. Well, no, but you know, I, I keep hearing this phrase. It's really starting to wind me up. You hear all these conversations about, you know, people go, oh, the real world, you know, these environmentalists don't live in the real world, or, you know, you're not living in the real world, or this is the real world, Sonny Jim, you know, and it just, I'm really curious about what people think is the real world, because it strikes me that the real world that they keep referring to is precisely the one that isn't actually real. It's the one one that's all about our human projections and constructions, you know, all that stuff about, you know, transactions and it doesn't, it's not real unless it lives on a quantified spreadsheet. It just kind of fries my brain because the actual real world is the one of ecological limits and environmental responsibility and social equity and, and how you maintain the fabric of society. That's, that's the stuff that's really real. And yet that's being destroyed by our obsession with the so-called real world. Mm. Yes, I think most people think of the real world as the thing they find emotionally or financially convenient. <laughs> Is it not sort of uh, company bosses and those in power using difficult economic times as an excuse maybe not to take more proactive action? So what they're really saying is things are hard for people. I can't do anything that's going to make that harder. That is exactly. I mean, that's what Sunak is is doing at the moment, you know, trying to position populism as pragmatism and say, oh, you know, well, we're, we're going to roll back on these net zero targets because, you know, we're going to do it for the hardworking the families. The so-called net zero. The so-called net zero. We're going to pull back on those targets, uh, you know, in, in the name of supposedly helping people who are, are struggling. And, you know, it is... It's a barefaced lie. Uh, I think we just have to confront it and call it out. You know, it's like you get this man standing up and basically gaslighting a nation because the yeah. one thing that everyone has been in agreement on for the best part of 20 years since the Stern review on climate change in 2006 was, you know, that the more you delay action on climate, the more it costs. And so, you know, by delaying the action on EVs and heat pumps and all the other things he's trying to roll back on, as well as all the nonsense policies that never existed in the first place, all he's doing is adding additional costs further down the line. Indeed. This is what happens. This is what yeah. happens when economists don't study ecology. Yeah. You know? It's a bit, it'll be a bit like, a bit like your physician not studying physiology. You'd think that was ridiculous, wouldn't you? But we seem to think it's okay for economists not to study ecology, which is the absolute fucking madness. Well, the Stern Review did. Uh, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, and so the economists that are advising Sunak, or he's coming at it with his, you know, private equity head on, you, you know, it's like, what does this man stand for? Because this is where absolute leadership is totally required. It's, it's as my mate Richard Brophy put it, it's like, it's like trying to pin the Sunak down, it's like trying to pin a fart to a wall. Mm. 
Actually, now I think about it, who was that bloke who was streaming the House of Commons last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's like the hokey cokey. It's like, you know, you put your policy in and then you pull your policy out. It's not surprising <laughs> that, you know, the whole world looks at it and goes, well, what, what are you doing here? You know, you're sending this completely inconsistent message. Business is apoplectic. You know, you've got all the car companies against you going, uh, actually, we just invested billions of pounds in this transition and now you're giving us more uncertainty. I mean, sorry if I'm ranting here, but blimey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've just tried to shift a lot of weight recently uh, from from the holiday. So I've been eating a lot of pearl barley and uh, pulse broth. And I think you could pin my farts to the wall. <laughs> I'm quite confident. <laughs> what drives me totally crazy is this like morality question that sits at the heart of all of this. Because, you know, he's absolutely failing us while trying to convince us that he's saving us. Yeah. One of my favourite phrases that I use is you've got to be very careful of a vested interest masquerading as a moral conviction. And that's exactly, you know, what, what he's about. So do you think then that it won't be a vote winner and that the broad uh, electorate will see through it? Ooh. Definitely not a vote. I mean, I, you, know, with, you know, I was actually in the House of Commons last night talking to some, you know, people uh, there, you know, from the political sphere, you know, and even people on, you know, on the right and the Tories just going, this is a disaster because, you know, people who weren't going to vote for him weren't going to vote for him. And now, you know, uh, the people who were going to vote for him will, of course, carry on voting for him. But there's a bunch of Tory voters now going like, but actually climate is, is really you know, important. And actually, this is something that kind of, in a way, the Tories kind of led on to a certain extent in some ways because of the net zero law. You know, you've got very senior Tories like Ben Goldsmith who are, you know, very keen on the environment and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, uh, you know right where you're left wing, we care about the environment. And he's lost a slew of, of, of Tory voters probably with these announcements. But how do we tackle? Because I, I, I'm not sure. I think there is a there is an appetite out there for people to be told oh we're going to make it easier and this this is something that is sacrifice i heard a guy on the five live debate saying i keep hearing people talk about trying to save the planet for years to come and i'm trying to save to get to the end of the week and it sort of flummoxed nicky campbell i don't claim to be nicky campbell uh, i'm a fan of nicky campbell but uh, if if it is a vote winner, then ha- is that a failure of how we put the arguments across? I always think about the veganism thing. It's the thing I get asked most about. It's the thing I'm most passionate about. And I still don't quite know when somebody says to me, why are you vegan? I still feel like I very rarely word that in a way that makes it seem appealing. And that is a failure of mine. I'm not implying that I have any responsibility to change the 
fucking dietetic habits of the nation. But I always think every time someone asks me, that is an opportunity for me to say why I'm vegan in a way that will make them think, oh, maybe I should do that. And I, if I list all the reasons, I come across as sort of doom-mongering or negative and I feel like that there's a sort of argument for that. I think still it should not be possible for a politician to even be of the opinion that sacrificing green policies is a vote winner. What it is is that they play the zero-sum game. It's either or. Mm, it's like, yeah. oh, we can either have the economy or we can have the environment, which is fucking ridiculous. I mean, last night I started off my speech saying, why do you think Apple restricts and vets the people who can put stuff onto the app store and onto the uh, operating system? And they had a bit of debate because well, they want to make sure that whatever's on there doesn't sort of mess with the operating system, which could affect you know other applications and stuff you know on your phone. I said that's exactly right. One of the reasons I do it is to make sure that there's no software on there that's going to upset the underlying operating system. And I said all of your businesses are applications on an operating system called the planet, and if you damage it, then the operating system falls over. At which point you've got nothing to run your business on. And so this idea that that, that, that they are somehow one or the other, that it's either the economy or the environment, is so insane back to this point about economists not studying ecology as to be you know sectionable the, the idea the only way to grow the economy is by destroying the operating system upon which it runs is would be considered insanity in in any right thinking normal discourse yeah it's what the american writer james baldwin used to say isn't it so people who shut their eyes to reality simply invite their own destruction mm. and uh, you know this is this is eyes closed territory. Mm. Well, well, this is cheery. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, the one the one thing I wanted to try and do this series is c- c- keep some positivity in there. It's, yeah. it's, it's not what I'm naturally very good at. No, no. Why did you become a comedian? <laughs> but, no, but, I, but, but I think the positive bit, you know, if we took if we took the examples that Sunak is supposedly focusing in on, and all of this, let's remind ourselves, comes back to you know an Uxbridge by-election where you know an ultra low emission zone became a, a toxic subject for debate and an MP retained their seat despite the fact it was their party that introduced the ULEs in the first place because of that traction there and this is playing to your point John is I the Tories are now focusing on driving this as, as a wedge issue and the problem with that is is that it's sort of distracting people from the huge opportunity you know this transition is not easy but it is also totally doable you know and there's a reason why the french are installing 10 times as many heat pumps a year as we are because they have got that leadership and commitment and that transition towards you know a a fossil fuel free electricity grid we're selling the argument wrongly Uh, people are being turned back to their good old fossil fuel boilers you know reliant on gas which is now being shipped halfway around the world and yet there is a much better system that we've talked about endlessly on this podcast, you know, which where we are all producers and generators of at least part of our own energy uh, and electricity. We're, we're selling it to each other. We have shares in community energy systems. We, we turn it from a linear pipe into a network decentralized grid. All of that is possible, but it requires the leadership. And it, that leadership has to, to a certain extent, go against the vested interests of the status quo. Uh, and that's where it gets tough because Sunak's position is essentially masking the usual lobbying of fossil fuels, which don't want to see this market decline in the rapid way that it has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, basically, he's uh, like the people who try to protect the sperm whale industry, you know, from the uh, introduction of fossil fuels. So we can't have these fossil fuels, you know. What about the fuels we get from sperm whales? It was an absolutely dreadful idea digging this stuff out of the ground. Let's carry on hunting these things to, to, to distraction. He's basically the new sperm whale industry defender. Yeah. Well, he's been called a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a new one on him, I bet. Speaking of sperm whales, I mean, um, and BP's as chief executive got got taken out as well, didn't he? For uh, undisclosed relationships with colleagues. Oh, really? Did you not see this? No. Yeah, he, uh, did, Bernard he Lee, stepped aside, didn't he? I, he stepped so he aside. Got taken out. He, well, he was allowed to take more himself more random, out. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in the sort of moral relativism of this because the reason for his departure, rather sudden and abrupt, was because he had had undisclosed relationships with colleagues. And so you know, there seems to be a sort of moral question here, the fact that he clearly lied to the board about who he had or hadn't slept with in the company. So it's not acceptable to do that, but it is okay to burn the planet uh, in the name of fiduciary duty, but just don't shag the staff. I um, haven't fucked either of you. I want everyone to know that. <laughs> well, not not physically. you have been to my shows (laughs) let's turn to the listeners for optimism and as you were discussing the things we can do between us joel has emailed to say good morning gents hope you're well Uh, as you're aware the education system is entirely fucked (laughs) big big opener Um, after several years teaching i have enjoyed redundancy since january hugely so there you go there's the optimism. Everything's fucked, but you might get made redundant or become unemployed. <laughs> That'd be nice. Um, I thoroughly recommend it. Do as you wish with your time. Great hours to suit yourself. The money is not great. Having listened to your podcast and following my previous work in education, I decided to spend some time creating a website, Change52, offering teaching resources around sustainability issues. I believe if we raise a generation talking about and considering these issues from a young age, we begin to change the way the future generations will act in response to the challenges faced. It's in its infancy. There are plenty of development opportunities, but it's live and accessible and hopefully of use to someone. Please take a look. Let me know what you think. Your thoughts and opinions would be valued. Thanks for the inspiration. Have a great weekend, Joel. It's change52.com, which is change50, one word, dash two dot com. And I haven't looked at it. I have. Go on. Well, you know, I'm the one who always does the research, aren't I? So, you know, of course you yes, are. of course, I've done my due diligence um, and I really like it, actually. It's very simple, but, you know, compelling. He's asking good questions, getting people to think systemically uh, and tracing things back. I looked at the one on on food and it's great. So he's just talking about the, the footprints of different foods and food miles and, you know, get, encouraging kids to to grow and be discerning about what they're growing and why. And so, yeah, I, I thought it's a great start in terms of just giving some proper good questions to young minds because, as we always say, it's about asking the right questions. Yeah, talking about the next generation, caring about the environment, yesterday something very exciting happened in our house mm-hmm. in that my eldest son, Emmett, received a blue Peter badge in the post. And it was an green blue peter badge for his ideas that he sent in about making toys out of recycled materials so we're all very excited about that and, he's, and, and, and we're all very proud of him 
That's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. I was actually in the shower and he was knocking on the door. Oh, wait a minute, and I came out sort of dripping. Went, Dad, I've got a blue Peter badge, and I was like, God, oh, that is the best. That is, it's like high five. That's like, that's like felt like he won a gold medal or something. Yeah, you could have slipped over and got another massive bruise. That was a really yeah, dangerous thing to do. Yeah, I've just yeah. turned on my camera. I don't know if you can see on the. Uh, hey. You've got a blue Peter badge. Oh, I've got a blue <laughs> Peter badge as well. How did you get that? Well. um as much as I admire Emmett's commitment to saving the future of the planet and taking proactive steps to make the world a better place, I did a show with Anthea Turner. So, you know, there's two ways of uh, two ways of doing it. Right. So you're saying there's basically two options, hang out with Anthea Turner or try and save the planet, and these are the... Yeah. yeah. She, was, she was very, I tell you what... Um, this is an industry where every now and again you get a little you get a little backhander or something like that. I've never had anyone be as coy about bestowing a gift as Anthea Turner was. She said, "You cannot tell anybody I've given you this." <laughs> Luckily, I trust our listeners implicitly. I was going to say that's thirty thousand listeners you've just shared that with. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't used it. Um, that I, I think there are various things you can get with it: uh, free flights, free petrol. Yeah. Um, I think I'm allowed uh, just a steak in any Miller and Carter Steakhouse. <laughs> I haven't checked what you get with it, but congratulations to your son, and he earned it. Whose name you've just forgotten? No, no. Well, I didn't want to say it again. I already said it once, and then I thought I don't like naming people's kids because yes. that's your choice to make, not mine. Yeah, it's um, not around naming people's children. They get upset about that. So, yeah, and, and I shall continue that if I ever see him. Hello, um, you say his name. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> let's let's talk more about the younger generation and their responsibilities. We've had an email from Cliff Schlimmer. Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? It is a great name, isn't it? it this, this, I have to say, well, it's it, there's a lot in this email, and I would like to have a conversation about something said about the, the responsibilities of the younger generation. It starts Where's Cliff from? with an insult uh the netherlands oh go on then and it ends this email it sort of sounds like an application to join a cult anyway <laughs> let, let me tell you why i was drawn to this let me t- let me let me just read you the opening to the email dear mr gillespie come on do the accent uh, dear mr gillespie <laughs> dear mr stevenson hi john what the fuck? <laughs> Where's dear Mr. Richardson? What? People are more familiar with you. They feel... They feel. They don't respect me. <laughs> I'm not having it. I now demand all emails and messages to the show begin, dear Mr. Richardson. This, uh, dear Mr. Richardson, Ed and Mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you can keep your um, misters or whatever terms you want. I bet you've got degrees and letters after your name, haven't you? You two. I'm not asking for that. What should your full titles be? Well, if you put all the qualifications after them. Yeah. That makes it, it makes you look like a wanker, though, doesn't it? I <laughs> know. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'd have BSc, MSc, MProf, because I've got two master's degrees. Yeah. Uh, and MSG, monosodium glutamate. <laughs> <laughs> I came across your podcast recently and have been enjoying the backlog. 
<laughs> is that a reference to my sluice? It's a lovely description, isn't it? So it implies a real work. You've got to go through it with a fucking shovel. Uh, it has helped me a bunch in dealing with the alienation I feel from my home country of the Netherlands and general climate malaise so many of my friends also suffer from ever since I read Sir David Attenborough. So he knows how to fucking address someone, this guy. <laughs> anyway, ever since I read Sir David Attenborough's Life at Our Planet, I've been struggling to find rest. He says it is now up to my generation to fix this mess, and I wholeheartedly believe he is right, the bastard. So there's a conversation. Well, and also, um, he's, he's, he's feeling alienated from like one of the most socially liberal and tolerant nations in Europe. So, I mean, that's quite an alienation, isn't it? Yes. I don't like hearing young people say it's up to them to fix this mess. It sort no. of pardons the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, obviously by us, I mean you, because I am part of the younger generation. You're not. <laughs> Currently, I am volunteering at a permaculture site in Catalonia via the European Solidarity Corps. I feel passion, energy, and outrage burning every day without somewhere to direct it. Life here gives me a glimpse of the future, but not the path I should take towards it. That's why I'm writing to you, since you, John, keep insisting I should write to you. Sorry. If this message falls on deaf ears, I'm afraid a Dutch Mr. Kaczynski will surface somewhere in the near future. But I don't get that reference. Uh, it's uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, who... Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a mixed oh, bag of like he sounds, he sounds really nice, but also he sounds a little bit. Laughs aside, that's that's a joke for Cliff. Um, I'm looking for a place I can give everything I have for the struggle. So far, I've managed a bachelor's degree in educational sciences with a focus on organisational contexts at the University of Utrecht. <laughs> It's a funny thing studying, studying, but based on the things I've learned, it's my opinion that a formal education is not teaching authentic stuff applicable to, Ed, the real world. There we go. Um, I need real world, authentic learning. It's a vision I want to achieve. I am 24, therefore too young to know what is impossible. Before my 30th birthday, I will take one year to cycle to China. Maybe I could even write a book about it. This gives me five years I can spend learning as much as I can. I know I want to become a future naught. I thrive in high stakes and high stress situations. Home is where I can be alone. I am a good private speaker. I have a knack for language. I can work with, advise, and support people and organizations. I like the holistic approach. I want to scale up and create the most sustainable and natural landscape with humans and nature in symbiosis as humanly possible. This is a this is a man begging for involvement. Where should I go? What should I do? I will volunteer until April 2024. Um, I'm looking for an expert who would take me under their wing and show me the fields and possibilities for a couple of years, online or physical. I wouldn't dare to dream that either of you, Mr. Gillespie, or you, Mr. Stevenson, would need a coffee boy, but I can be a decent bartender as well, and if all else fails, John's home bar will be the bottom of my list. This piece (laughs) of shit. (laughs) I would, but this is is a sensational way to sign off an email. I would be... Honoured if you could help me on this journey. I will devour everything you send me, from reading suggestions to lists of further victims to contact. I have no obligation to any country or girlfriend to speak of. I am ready to be of service. (laughs) (laughs) 
I left him to speak of. His current partner is just about to punch him in the bollocks. <laughs> this is somebody saying, fuck the country I live in, fuck my girlfriend. I will come and make coffee for Ed or Mark if it will set me on the path to my absolute desire to sacrifice myself, my skills, and all my energies for the future of this planet. What an email. Wow, Cliff. It is quite an email, isn't it? Yeah, it does sound like a cult application. We need a cult. Haven't we got people and planet and point uh, to point him towards, Mark? Uh, yeah, I th- I'm not sure. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's offered to pour the drinks. That's true. In fact, we haven't actually uh, we haven't we haven't actually announced that yet. I don't think I trust Cliff not to be putting something in the drinks. Yeah, I think Cliff's a little bit too committed. But I tell you what, th- there's just energy there, and there's yeah. it does seem insane that. And I assume Cliff is not alone, that there are many, many people like Cliff across the planet who are saying, I just want to feel that there is a place I can go to feel connected. Uh, You know, it's not specific about what realm or anything. There just needs to be an asset or a place I can go where I find all these people who are like me, who just want to completely devote themselves to something that they believe is of purpose. Has he thought about joining the Conservative Party? <laughs> I believe you have people you can put him in touch with. Liz Truss. That's only half a joke. I mean, I was at an event the other night where someone suggested that because the membership of the Conservative Party is now so low, like, you know, barely 100,000 people, that actually one of the most powerful things that could be done would be to get... 300,000 young people to all become members of the Tory party and completely Mm -hmm. take it over because you know when they elect their leaders via the membership uh, then you'd outnumber them three to one and you might have the chance of getting a human being in charge interesting thought anyway back to Cliff I love the energy and the fervor reminds me of me when I was young I think he's already fine as he is I think the curiosity the verve the keeping going, he will find his people. And if he's in anywhere near uh, People Planet Point, he should get down there, which is our new official club, is it not, gentlemen? Find me in the club. Yes. So we, we at the podcast, have joined forces with the wonderful people at People Planet Point. <laughs> That's it. Okay, Peter Pepper picked a peck of pickle pepper at the People Planet Point. And so uh, we're their official podcast and they're our official uh, place to go. So if you are looking for people who uh, think and care about the planet, then uh, type in People Planet Point to Google or or Ecosia, probably better, and uh, find your uh, local group. And if there isn't one, then set one up. And that will be a place where you can find all those people to put the fire in your belly and perhaps collaborate with in making the world a better place. Yeah, and the first drink's free. It is. Well, for the first drinks three, for the first, I think, 60 people who turn up. So. Okay, well, that's that gives you a pretty good go, doesn't it? Talking of drinks, the world's first regenerative beer is being launched. And this is an idea of mine, uh, which is going to happen. And I love, love the idea of that because basically it's a beer that every time you drink it, the world gets better. That's true of all beers, isn't it? Well, yes, but it actually <laughs> makes the world actually makes the world better so you oh, know, see, it right. turns alcoholics into superheroes <laughs> or is it like is it like the pea gin i like of that carbon yeah. positive gin which i loved which was i'm uh, doing it for the children darling yeah <laughs> <laughs> call me another you just don't care as much as i do <laughs> if you really cared about the planet you'd have a pint for breakfast what do you think cliff should do john I think I, I sort of agree with you that if he feels that way at 24, he's probably going to get where he's going. 
and so long as the world doesn't destroy that energy and that optimism but i do i take real issue with the the phrase it's up to our generation to fix it and i'm not saying that might not be true but i find that a very depressing mm. sentiment and i don't mm. want the next generation to come through it's very difficult not to sound like a sort of climate skeptic in the way that I speak to my daughter about it, who's seven years old and is learning certain things at school, I'm not going to tell my seven-year-old daughter that it's up to her generation to fix no. the problems of society. I might tell her that the problems that she's going to face are solvable and that you know her generation will come up with exciting things that our generation haven't done. But the sort of onus I, I really struggle with, and it sort of means the rest of us can sort of just wait I'm just thinking, oh, they'll do it. We are the generation in the driving seat. We should fucking do it. Yeah, the timescale is uh, is absolutely on our watch. Yeah. You know, when you look at what the targets are for the next 10, 15 years, that's why I always say to the re- responsible leaders I work with, it's like, you know, this is going to be the most important thing you do in your career because before you retire, the bulk of the emissions reductions have to have happened. So, yes, it will be, as you say, for our children to face into this world as well, but they're not going to be anywhere near any levers of influence for 15 years. Mm. And so, you know, all of that work happens now. It's us. Yes, and so don't go around saying it's up to your generation. Yeah. Uh, come and kick, kick the, our generation. Yeah, come <laughs> and kick us in the ass. Yeah. So he said, can I come and work for you? And you just invite him to come and kick you in the ass. <laughs> oh, that feels like that's that's where we're at. We've yeah. taken a young and enthusiastic, passionate man and said, you know what you need to do? Go and batter old people. <laughs> what you should be doing with your time. Let's come to Leslie, because I think this is another thing I want to discuss. Um, hello, this is my second email, not at the stalking stage yet. I've started to re-listen to the pods as I can't last without a Janther fix, waiting impatiently for the next season. It's here and you're part of it, Leslie. Being a Leeds fan, I'm used to a certain amount of vitriol on Twitter <laughs> currently because not only are we shit, but we're collapsing faster than a Fred Dibner demolition. I'm guessing this email came in during our break. We're great now. <laughs> sort of. I mean, it's fine. That leads to the bottom of the, the, the football sustainability league, which itself is, uh, is a disaster because all football is almost completely unsustainable. I doubt we're bottom now. We've had a depressing number of players leave for Saudi Arabia. Right. Summer, I think mm-hmm. football itself has not showed itself up in the greatest possible terms, given mm-hmm. how many footballers have gone, oh, yeah, fuck it, I'll do that. What, money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, then I'll just put out a press release saying it wasn't about money. I mean, if Jordan Henderson saying it was about building a football project, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> eat shit. Oh, it's, a, it's a passionate project. Is it fucking bollocks? Anyway, unwarranted and unvicious. (laughs) I'm going back to Leslie's email now. Um, Unwarranted and unwanted vicious personal attacks seem to be increasing with world events like Trump's popularity rising to the surface again. Fuel is added to an already healthy inferno. I personally have experienced abuse from fellow fans, fellow in inverted commas, and despite being pretty resilient, had more of an effect on me than I would have predicted. I know you have faced this on Twitter, whereas my experience once of this was unnerving. Perhaps an onslaught starts to normalize which is even more concerning. I'm also a nurse, and in many A&E departments, you will see signs saying staff abuse 
will not be tolerated. Women are also more likely to experience online abuse than men. Take the situation Caroline Criado Perez has experienced. Simply unexpectable. So my question is, what is the future of civility? Many organizations now have people in roles like civility officer or manager, and I'm shocked that we need this. It speaks volumes, sadly. I'd love to hear if we're fucked. I'm getting to that point. Or if there's hope, unlike for Leeds, which is shit. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. John, MOT, Mark and Ed, cheers and thanks. Leslie. I'm going to defer to our podcast's uh, head of diplomatic services, Mr. Stevenson, <laughs> and say, what, what would you recommend as a professional bridge builder, Mark? Or should I call, should I call you Captain C? I think we live in a world which is kind of where the algorithms, for instance, are designed to get you outraged where they realize that what keeps your attention is fear and anger and disagreement and conflict. And uh, actually, the moment you turn that stuff off, you realize that the world is not like that. So, I mean, I don't don't use Twitter anymore. Don't care for it. My life hasn't changed other than the fact that the world feels a bit nicer. It's very easy to get into that space, and that's where they want you to get to so they can sell you stuff by making you angry. You can actually absent yourself and say, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get off Facebook and I'm going to get off Twitter and I'm going to get off all those other places that make me feel angry. And I'm going to go and be nice to people. And what you tend to find is that if you're nice to people, people are nice to you back. It's kind of be the change you want to see in the world. Uh, which is what I said to those two gentlemen last night in the House of Commons. <laughs> <laughs> Up to a point. Up to a point. <laughs> Up to a point. I mean, civility is all very well and good, except when you need to be not civil. Okay, so there is this idea of civil disobedience, and sometimes we're going to need uncivil disobedience as well. So it really depends what you stand for. But I'm a great believer in something that Stephen Fry once told me, actually, which is you've only ever got one chance to make a first impression, and it makes a good sense to try and be polite while you're there. And, you know, the more you do that, the better you get. It's interesting looking at you, John, for instance. Like when I see you, you're very famous and whatever, and you are through <laughs> a fault. To a fault, despite your celebrity status and the fact that sometimes you're being hassled and you've got a lot on, you are to a fault incredibly kind and generous to people and very polite and welcoming. And it seems to me that that reflects in the way that you are because you, you, you come across as somebody who's actually you know, quite happy and quite content a lot of the time. So I, mean, I think perhaps you should answer this question because you seem to be an example of somebody who's in the media eye, has to deal with all this social media stuff, probably gets their own fair share of abuse, particularly when you've gone, have I got news for you and express any kind of political opinion. Mm-hmm. And yet you, you don't have that anger inside you as far as I can work out. So maybe you should answer the question. No, I have had, and I, and I would agree with what you said, really, that social media is something you can simply step away from. And I mm-hmm. think there's a view now that everybody's on it, and it is a necessary evil of how we communicate and have debate. And I, I just don't agree at all. I think you can absolutely just stop. So I don't have Twitter on my phone. Yeah, I basically use it as a website. I put information out there that I think is of relevance. It's difficult when you have a social media voice, you are obliged to use it. So charities will ask me to post things, which I'm happy to do, but I don't necessarily engage with the responses. And I would, I would say to Leslie, I mean, football is just the worst thing to be talking about. But what I do find interesting is the paradox between the way we speak to each other online, how happy we are to search people out to disagree with them and abuse them online, and a society where we perhaps don't challenge bad behavior 
where we see it and you can see not just the Russell Brand end of the spectrum but also littering in the street I'm a coward in the street I don't challenge people mm. that I see dropping litter I just I might go and pick it up and put it in the bin myself but I'm certainly a bit of a, a coward there and I would say Mark and Ed you're at that end where you your job is to go and challenge these but that conversation you had last night Mark sounds like it was something you could have easily shrunk away from but you were forced to face to face stand up for your beliefs and I, I don't think actually a lot of people do that and that view that we're very mean to each other the reason i'm always polite to people when i'm out people who come up and ask for is because people are polite i do believe if you switch off the computer and go out people are good and polite and everybody is invested whilst they have their own personal opinions on scale and what is an appropriate thing to do everybody is invested in making the world a better place for everybody and sometimes you need to engage don't you i mean like like the littering thing i mean i've just since coming back to school when I pull my bike up at the school gates, you know, and there are literally half the cars parked there with parents in them idling their engines, mm. you know, and they're not, you know, they're not getting out to take the kid in. So you know, do you say like, something or do you I, speak to the school? I, I, well, I've said, I've said something to the headmaster, but, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm just going to knock on the window and just say, excuse me, mate, or excuse me, you know, do you want to just turn the engine off while you're waiting? Because you know, you're basically filling the school gate yeah. with fumes that all of our children are now going to walk through. And I do believe if you did that, nine out of ten people would apologise and turn their engine off. I'm looking forward to next week's episode where Ed isn't here because he's an A&E. <laughs> <laughs> Pick on the wrong person. Uh, yeah, but I mean, to the bigger point, it's not just social media, is it? I mean, I was struck by you know, the former Australian Prime Minister's uh, comments on Rupert Murdoch, you know, finally stepping aside at 92 from his empire. And he described, you know, Murdoch's legacy as angertainment, that, you know, actually his mm. newspapers and his TV stations have have basically grown and been successful on the back of this angry entertainment of polarisation and division. And coming back to where some of the, the politics is uh, that we were talking about earlier, you know, a lot of this is red meat to the divisiveness. It's like, how do we, how do we totally wind up the environmentalists, you know, and give ourselves a, a point of differentiation? Yes, I agree. I think the antidote really is to, is to think in systems and listen to this podcast. I mean, it's what we try and do. We, just, we discuss diverse and difficult and problematic things. And we don't shy away from all the challenges to it, but we also have a laugh at the same time. I think humour is always a great diffuser, isn't it, John? Yeah, I don't know. I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's awkwardly. There's a conversation about online abuse and it's reached the point in the podcast where I have to ask people to tweet and email in. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not the best time to do that. At least send us some abuse. There was someone who'd written in several times, wasn't there? We haven't addressed their letters yet, but I noticed they made a point of saying, you do keep asking me to write in, John, at the, yes. end, at the end of every podcast. So, oh, I do. Well, we thrive on, we thrive on, we, 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 well, we don't do any work ourselves. So, that you know, I'm trying to word it a sensitive well, way. Speak, speak for yourself. Yeah, you do. You put a document together. You both go out and do stuff. I don't do anything. So I, my only role here is to read your emails. If you don't email in, I have to listen to what Mark and Ed are saying. It's very draining. I have to Google it while they're talking and find an opinion I should hold or a question I should ask. It's very tiring. It's much easier if you just email me a question and I say it. So here's how you do that. You can reach us by email at hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. 
That's hello at John, J-O-N, and the future notes, all one word, dot com. We have our own show Twitter account, which is at J and the F. And of course, you can reach us individually on Twitter too. I am at Ron Richardson, John Richardson with the first letter swapped around. That's what I've done there. And you can reach Ed and Mark at the following. I'm Ed Gillespie at Frucool, which is at F-R-U-C-O-O-L. And I'm Mark Stevenson, and you can find me at Optimist on Tour. So that's how you can reach us. This series will largely focus on reaction to the news, positivity about the climate, your emails, but we also will have uh, some deep dives into topics, not least the future of neurodiversity, which uh, is in the planning at the moment, and I think is something that you're keen to talk about, Mark. Uh, Yes, um, because uh, since Series 4... Um, I got diagnosed with crushing obvious ADHD. Crushing their term or your term? Well, I think my, <laughs> uh, my term is very obvious to just literally everybody who knows me. Uh, it's only me and my beloved that kind of went, oh, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But the thing that I find is really interesting, well, first ADHD affects 5% of people. So that's a huge number of people that are undiagnosed and it is you know, quite interesting what it does to the, to the brain. But the thing that I, that struck me was there's this term neurodiverse and if you look at the etymology of neurodiversity that the sociologist who coined it actually sort of borrowed it from biodiversity not that there's you know anything uh, wrong with you know being slightly different it's like an ecosystem an ecosystem of minds and they think differently and they all interact and in a good ecosystem that works well and then some fucking idiot came up with the term neurotypical <laughs> Which suddenly meant that people who, you know, you're either neurodiverse or neurotypical. So I, I, I'd like to discuss uh, finding that person and having them shot. <laughs> okay, well, I think I know someone in Catalonia who is looking for a passion project. <laughs> it's a great follow-up to the future of civility. But I do think this is the idea that we sort of medicalise to a certain extent and say, oh, because it doesn't fit into this narrow box, you're, you're, you're in that neurodiverse box. You wouldn't go and say to a beetle, oh, God, you're kind of, you know, you're... you're your beetle diverse as opposed to sort of that, that, that squirrel over there, which is sort of squ- squirrel typical, you know, it's just, you wouldn't do that in an ecosystem. Yeah. We seem to be doing squirrel that with people. And I think it's, I think it's just bollocks. And, uh, and for somebody who does indeed have very obvious ADHD, which does affect the way I think, uh, you know, I, I, I would like to feel part of an ecosystem rather than being told that I'm outside of it. So thoughts on the range of, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say neurodiversity now. No, you can say neurodiversity. That's good. Just don't say neurotypical. I just can't say neurotypical. Okay. It's the old joke, isn't it? Is that how many kids with ADHD does it take to change a light bulb? Let's go play on bikes. I'm not. I'm not reacting to that. I'm not getting cancelled now. Not the end of an episode. No way. <laughs> this is how you get me. You tie me out with all your chat, and then you slip in a little comment at the end to try and get me cancelled. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> laughing at that. Are you laughing at that, Mark? No, it's a typical kind of neurotypical. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, well, I look forward to this viper's nest of potential, <laughs> potential politically incorrect errors. Indeed, but we're, we're we're thinking of getting some some celeb guests on for that who famously have ADHD, aren't we? Yes, we are. If only one of us knew some. We will be back next week. Mark and Ed, thank you as always for your time. Thank you to Emma, our producer, and we will see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.